Hello, I'm Nadia Singh, and welcome to IDSA's COVID-19 podcast series, which aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during this pandemic by speaking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, we'll be discussing COVID-19 prevention and the importance of widespread and continued mask use. To address this are IDSA members, Dr. Monica Gandhi with the University of California, San Francisco, and Dr. Chip Schooley of the University of California, San Diego. Thank you both for being here. Dr. Gandhi, I'd like to start with you. Can you please summarize what we know about the effectiveness of cloth masks and face coverings in preventing the transmission of COVID-19? You know, really data from February and early March showed us that people can shed really high rates of SARS-CoV-2 from the nose and mouth, even when they're asymptomatic. So it was really that what led to the April 3rd recommendation by the CDC for cloth face coverings by the public to prevent transmission um, to others. And really um, the, the efficacy of cloth masks and face coverings is not necessarily data from the virus, this particular virus itself, but longstanding data with other respiratory viruses, uh, influenza virus um, for many years that show that covering those two orifices essentially will reduce significantly actually transmission of the virus um, when it's being shed from those um, places. So it really, uh, if you look at PubMed at this point, there are 784 references um, from the beginning of the pandemic on masking and SARS-CoV-2 transmission. And I think that though we can't do an experimental study where we cover people's faces and um, inject them with SARS-CoV-2 from the outside um, uh, or expose others to that because that isn't ethical, we really have a wealth of animal data, observational data, epidemiologic data, and ecologic data that shows that masks are effective for preventing transmission. Thank you for your insights, Dr. Gandhi. Turning to you now, Dr. Schooley, for the general public, What types of masks are most appropriate? If N95 respirator masks are so effective at blocking virus particles, why are they not recommended for the general public? Actually, probably the most uh, useful mask for the general public and one that I wear when I'm out is um, a traditional surgical mask uh, with loops behind the ears. They're a three-ply paper. They are disposable. They're very inexpensive and very easy to replace. Uh, N95 masks are slightly better, but not that much better, uh, and they're uh, a bit more uncomfortable. They are more difficult uh, in terms of air exchange, and people do tend to fidget with them and adjust them a lot. So I think on balance, the uh, surgical masks are, uh, from the standpoint of public use, really quite good. In the hospital, the time that N95 masks are most useful are when we're in the midst of a procedure that actually generates a lot of aerosol. Uh, but the rest of the time walking around in the hospital, um, most people just wear surgical masks. The types of masks that aren't so good are gaiters uh, and, um, and, um, and bandanas. Uh, they uh, do prevent large droplets uh, from being expelled, uh, but they don't do anything uh, significant about the smaller droplets and aerosols, which uh, we think actually are where most of the virus is. So uh, I would not recommend that people use bandanas uh, or gaiters, but rather surgical masks. I think you're absolutely right that the N95 masks are just too uncomfortable. And what we are doing here is really making a massively different recommendation for the public, right? Which is to mask 
all day, every day um, when out, uh, which is a which really has to turn our mind to acceptability and adherence. And so anything that's comfortable, um, really what it does, and we've only talked about transmission to date so far, um, expelling the virus from the mouth, but it's fair to say that a mask uh, likely protects you as well as the wearer. Um, and many cities, in, in fact, San Francisco just changed its guidance to write that masks protect you and others, um, because this, any viral, uh, any uh, facial mask will block viral particles from coming in. And there's sort of increasing virologic and epidemiologic and also ecologic evidence that um, reducing the viral inoculum to which you're exposed makes your ability to get severe disease significantly reduced, even if you do get infected. So all of that is to say that just whatever is comfortable for you when we're asking the public to make such a major change in how they behave is what I would recommend for the public, including cloth, if that's comfortable for people. Excellent points from both of you. Thank you, doctors. Dr. Gandhi, I'd like to stick with you now. There has been considerable debate about the use of masks in schools. CDC recommends that individuals over age two wear masks unless they are unable to remove their own masks or have other medical or developmental reasons to not wear one. Dr. Gandhi, do you agree that most young school-aged children should wear masks in school? And how could masking impact a school's ability to reopen safely? You know, I do agree with masking in schools because the two-way protection aspect. I mean, I can understand why the CDC at the beginning said that this will reduce, that you'll be protecting others um, by wearing a mask. Unfortunately, I do think that messaging confused people. And I think that there are areas in this country where there's been uneven mask compliance. And I've been concerned that um, if we don't message that masks protect you, we may not get the compliance that we were hoping for. And I think there's ample evidence from other viruses, from animal models, from virologic studies that masks protect you from either getting virus at all and if you get virus, severe illness. So the idea of two-way masking in a school is to protect both the teachers and the children. Children are less likely to get severe disease, they're less likely to get infected. Small children are less likely to transmit the virus. Um, so I'd be more concerned at 10 or above to have children mask, but it's a good idea to start, it, start thinking about changing the culture to even have little kids mask if they're able, but I wouldn't be so worried if it comes off. Just because we're trying to get schools to open safely, we're trying to get society to open safely, and I think that masking is one of the key pillars to allow that. Yeah, I have to say, I think a lot of the earlier uh, evidence, uh, which was really not evidence, but just uh, hearsay that children are uh, unlikely to be infected, don't shed much virus, is now being shown to be wrong. Uh, they, in fact, have levels of virus that are as high as adults. And uh, that rationale for not having children masked uh, under specific ages when they're together in groups, I think, has led to a lot of the uh, discussion about what, uh, operating schools without masks. And I actually think that's a mistake. But we need to get schools open uh, safely. And uh, if we get them open with masks on and they're safe, that's great. And as we get the instance of this virus down in the population, we can begin to unmask and begin to relax and things. But we don't want to start with a big hole in our fabric by having 20 or 30 kids get together from different families every day, uh, exchanging virus and taking it home to their, to their families. It's just a, just a bad public health idea. 
Excellent insights, doctors. Thank you. Dr. Schooley, most governors are requiring individuals to wear masks in public places, but levels of compliance vary significantly, as you know, across the nation. Are masks required in your state of California? And how would you describe adherence to mask requirements or recommendations in your community? They're required in California when you're outside the confines of your home with your own family. And I think uh, compliance uh, adherence in California is actually, for the most part, pretty good. Uh, there are breakdowns, as they are in any effort to get the entire population to do anything. And the biggest breakdowns really are in the population who don't perceive themselves to be at risk. That's the 20 to 40-year-old group that um, are still out and about uh, and interacting with each other, uh, assuming that they uh, are not going to be in danger. Uh, they, in fact, are what's propagating the epidemic. And one of the reasons we can't open the restaurants and bars and other things we want to do because there's so much virus being transmitted in that 20 to 40-year-old group. The other thing that I think is, uh, has been a misconception has been that if you get uh, your coronavirus infection over with, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, for a while, at the University of Alabama, for example, they were having COVID parties in which the kids would get together and so you got COVID first with the rationale being that once you had it, you didn't have to worry about getting it again. And we now know that's not the truth. That in fact, you can get it again. And when you get it again, uh, it may be symptomatic or asymptomatic, but you're not uh, protected from reinfection. So it makes no sense for this age group to think that A, they're not at risk, and B, if they get infected, at least they won't have to worry about it in the future. They will. All coronavirus infection immune responses wane much more rapidly than most viral infections, and this one is no exception. Thank you, Dr. Schooley. Dr. Gandhi, how can ID physicians help increase mask use in their own communities? Many ID doctors are HIV doctors as well, and I think that if you think about um, harm reduction and how we've thought about how to message HIV prevention, we can take lessons from that. So the models that show that masking help reduce community transmission and also protect you. I think those two we can take lessons from. The, in terms of the models decreasing community transmission, it seems that 80% mask compliance is the sweet spot in which you can get essentially no severe illness if 80% of the population masked. I recognize that's a very high number, but that means that I wouldn't yell at 20% of the population who isn't wearing a mask. I think it's not helpful in our harm reduction ways of thinking to... Um, to shame people or yell at them, and, and this is not what we've learned from messaging. Um, we really have to uh, uh, we really have to message, um, you know, in a kind of teaching way and with um, ways where we think about mass protecting you, which will appeal to people's um, self preservation instinct. And that's why I've been really interested in San Francisco changing their guidelines to say mass protect you, and the CDC is likely to do the same. So I think we have to focus on self messaging. We really need to tell the public that that's going to help you. And then I don't think we should be yelling at anyone. I think it's just profoundly unhelpful. Um, I do think that mandates work uh, and enforcement works. And if it's a short-term change, I would use the word mandate instead of recommendation. And if we have to, maybe some enforcement techniques. I wouldn't have done that with HIV. You can't go to go into someone's room and you know, break in and like see if they're using condoms. Um, but something like masks, you can actually enforce use. Um, and I think in this case, uh, there are places that have imposed fines or places that have imposed warnings. And I would be a little more comfortable with that than I would with HIV prevention, 
just because we have to get through this. We have to get through the pandemic. Everyone's miserable um, and we want to get through it more quickly. And that's how countries have managed to do it. I think businesses can play a big role here too. And a lot of us uh, have been asked by businesses about what their policy should be. And uh, for a while, I think they were concerned that uh, requiring masks in stores would be bad for business. I think now they're realizing that it's very good for business for people to know that they can feel safe if they go shopping someplace. They also begin to realize that the more people wear masks, the more control of the epidemic we're going to have and the sooner they're gonna be able to get back to uh, more uh, business as usual. So I think business has been a major advocate in this and uh, we should uh, do all we can to help them understand uh, why this is important scientifically. I would add one thing to this is that any setting where people have been handing out masks, so Taiwan, um, you know, on March 6th in a country that, you know, knew how to mask because of the SARS pandemic in 2003, um, changed its factories uh, to mask producing. And now it had a culture of just handing out masks in different settings, just like I can't enter my hospital or my clinic without um, you know, even taking off my cloth mask and being given the, the issued surgical mask, that really helps compliance um, because it's sort of saying by the businesses or by the meat processing plant or by the grocery store or by the hospital, that this is such a pillar of our control that we issue these to you. And I would be really interested in that strategy. Taiwan has had, of course, less than 10 deaths in a country of 23 million. And a lot of people credit their incredible adherence to mask wearing um, for part of that success. Thank you, Dr. Schooley and Gandhi for bringing up those excellent points. For our last question, I'd like to pose it to both of you, starting with you, Dr. Schooley. What policies, practices, or messages do you believe would be effective in increasing public cooperation with mass recommendations or requirements? Well, I think one of the most important things is that the message that they get from uh, both media uh, and from politicians is consistent. Uh, it's very confusing to have there be some uh, ambiguity about whether or not uh, this is a scientifically based recommendation. And uh, there's no question, as Dr. Gandhi so eloquently pointed out to begin with, that this is based on science and it does uh, is the way we're going to get control of this epidemic. And uh, uh, it's critical that all of our country's leaders from mayors and city councilmen up to the president make it very clear that this is not some hoax or some uh, debatable question uh, about whether um, masking decreases the morbidity and mortality from this virus in our country. All we have to do is look at our 6 million cases and being the leader in global deaths. Uh, and it's very clear that the policies that have been articulated have not been effective. And the mask recommendation uh, is one of the ones that uh, has been least well articulated. And examples are very important. I mean, watching President Trump uh, on the White House lawn uh, on his uh, acceptance speech with several hundred people in front of him without sitting there without masks close together sends a very bad message to people about why as a country we have to get serious about this disease and get it under control. The other bit of, I think, important um, uh, information to process is that this virus is going to be with us for a long time. And uh, for a while, I think people thought if we just kind of get through to the fall, we're going to have a vaccine and it'll all be over, or we'll have herd immunity. And what's been seen in Europe and in uh, Hong Kong and other places is that when you let your guard down, the virus comes back. And letting your guard down uh, really involves mainly taking masks off and getting people together indoors. So we're going to have to figure out how to message this, how to do this, to be aware that this virus is uh, likely to be 
in the background for several years uh, to come. Yeah, I agree, which is why I'm so interested in the whatever's comfortable for you kind of idea because, um, and, and really uh, don't want to message N95 mass to the public because they're really uncomfortable. It really is changing a whole new way of being. I mean, we could actually recommend mask wearing every influenza. We'd have a, you know, a season, you know, every winter we'd have a very mild season, but that it's, it's literally behavior change by mass amounts of the public is a big deal. And so um, we do have to do this for COVID. And because of that, I'm really interested in this idea. You know, I think a lot of people are starting to message that if it protects you, that that will help people think. Uh, it's understandable that people are kind of out more for their families and, they, and them because that is sort of motivating for human behavior. And so I think that's a good message to put out that masks protect you as well as helping others because maybe civic duty hasn't worked as well in a country that where our politicians sometimes, at least the president isn't modeling that for us. And so um, I totally agree that modeling would be incredible by politicians, but um, also just that idea that if it protects you, I would really push that message and use whatever is comfortable for you. Cloth face coverings um, do work. That's why the CDC recommended them um, to just whatever it takes to kind of have comfort and do it and change your behavior for six months to a year. I'd like to open the floor now for any final comments. Well, I think the most important thing is that uh, we know that um, masks are a critical component of controlling this epidemic and that if we are um, resolute in getting this done, uh, we're gonna see things get much better. Uh, it, this is something that, it's a tool we know we have, we know it works. It's not as if we have this virus uh, out here among us killing uh, tens of thousands of people with no no weapon. Right now, the mask is our best weapon and we should use it. I think it's such a simple thing in a way to do. And the CDC director on July 14th said, hey, we could get through this in six, eight weeks if we could just all do it. I think it's such a simple public health measure that would allow reopenings as people have been suffering so much in schools and workplaces. And so it really has to induce an incredible culture change. It's been easier for that to happen maybe in countries that experience SARS, but it was such an immediate adoption in Vietnam and Singapore and Hong Kong and Japan and places who had been affected by SARS. And we, uh, I, I'm, I'm disturbed by the, uh, why it's taking us so long to, to completely get on with this because it really is profoundly effective. It's like as simple as covering the place where the virus sheds. I mean, it's it's like, you don't even need science really, it's common sense. Um, so I hope uh, that we can get our, our leaders to model this and, and get um, a better compliance across the country. At this time, I'd like to thank Drs. Gandhi and Schooley for their time, participation, and expertise. For the latest information and resources on the COVID-19 pandemic, visit IDSA's website, idsociety.org, and don't forget to follow us on social media. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the latest on this rapidly evolving pandemic. The views and opinions expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Involvement of CDC should not be viewed as endorsement of any entity or individual involved with the podcast. I'm Nadia Singh.